0: Welcome back to another episode of the Black Menaces Podcast. I am your host, Nate Bird. Excited to have a special guest here on the show. Before that, I want to introduce my co-host,
1: Rachel Weaver. We are so happy to be here with you guys again, and we will give it over to our special guest who is here with us today, Melijah Garfield.
2: Yes, thank you uh, for the invitation. Uh, my name is Melijah Garfield, director of the Black Culture Center here at the University of Utah.
0: Excellent. Elijah, we're excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, Before we talk to you about your work at the University of Utah, we're going to uh, discuss our menace moment. And as someone special today, uh, shout out to our friend Chelsea, who emailed in and suggested that we highlight Judy, um, or suggested that we highlight this person. Her name is Judy Heumann. uh, And she is known as the mother of the disabled rights movement, or kind of like the mother of disabled rights. Uh, So she was born in December 18th, 1947, in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and her parents were German-Jewish immigrants who came to the U.S. in the early 1930s. At 18 months, Judy contracted polio, and as a result, ended up spending most of her life using a wheelchair. Uh, throughout her life, she rejected cliches about disability uh, as a tragic experience, and she said, quote, "'Disability only becomes a tragedy for me when society fails to provide the things we need to lead our lives, job opportunities or barrier-free buildings, for example.' It is not a tragedy to me that I'm living in a wheelchair, end quote. When she was five years old, her mother took her to school to register her, and she was told that she could not attend school because she was a fire hazard, because she wasn't able to walk. Um, for the first, So because of that, for the first three years of her schooling, she was homeschooled, um, but her mother, Ilsa, advocated for her, and she was able to attend a school for disabled children in the fourth grade. Um, due to public policy, she was supposed to return back to homeschooling when, it, when she was old enough to go to high school, but her mother's activism in the community caused the school to reverse the policy, and she was able to attend public high school. From ages 9 to 18, she attended a camp called Camp Jeanette for disabled children every summer, and there she really had her eyes open to the shared disabled experience of people um, and kids her age. And uh, she went on to become a pretty significant activist um, and and like the mother of the disabled rights movement. She graduated from Long Island University in 1969, and she later got a Master of Public Health from University of California, Berkeley in 1975. During her time in school, she organized rallies and protests and even sit-ins for disabled rights. Um, And then, let's see, in 1970... She was denied her New York teaching license because the board did not believe she could get herself or her students out of the building in case of a fire. She sued the Board of Education on the basis of discrimination. Um, a local newspaper ran a headline. You can be president, not teacher with polio. The case settled without a trial and human became the first wheelchair t- user to teach in New York City. Which I thought was pretty cool. And yeah, that um, was it. I want to say, was it Teddy Roosevelt or was it Franklin Roosevelt who had polio? You know what I'm talking about? Which one? Which It was Franklin?
2: Franklin, Frank Frank. Franklin D.
0: Roosevelt. Yeah, so Franklin D. Roosevelt had polio. He was in a wheelchair, and he was sitting in the White House. And um, here was Judy Human trying to uh, to be a teacher, and she was not allowed that until she sued, and then it was settled out of court. Um, and she received her license, and she taught elementary school there for three years. She also, uh, during that time that she was suing the Board of Education in New York, she received lots of communication from other disabled people who talked about the ways that they had been discriminated against. And that caused her to help find uh, help found the organization Handicapped in Action, which she later lobbied to change to Disabled in Action. Um, and she founded that to protect the rights of disabled people and help d- develop legislation for disabled people, um, both in education and outside of it. And she served as Assistant Secretary of Education for Special Education and Rehabilitative Services from June 1993 to January 2001 under President Bill Clinton. And then she also served as Special Advisor for International Disability Rights from June 2010 to January 2017 under President Barack Obama. And then she just passed away on March 4th of this year at age 75. So yeah. that is Judy, uh, Judith Judy Human, uh, mother of the disabled rights movement.
1: Awesome, mm-hmm. love that.
0: <clears throat> but yeah, so uh, Melijah, really quickly, will you just kind of uh, give us a rundown of, of how you came to work at the University of Utah, how you came to to be a part of the Black Cultural Center? What was the process of getting all of that started?
1: Yeah.
2: So do you want the long story or the short story. Oh, we want the long, long stories.
1: Well, <laughs> you can give us a little. I bet you can like they could be their own questions, each of them, right? Like, you know, like what led you to study what you studied in undergrad? Then how did you decide you wanted to be a director of um like because that's such a specific job you know to be like i want to be the director of a black cultural center because i know we talked briefly um, a couple of weeks ago and you told me you were choosing between different ones and like i didn't even know that was a job things like that so kind of take us through the process of your life kind of that led you i want to know like what led you to go to university of new mexico knowing where you're from again i know a little bit about you so kind of take the listeners through you going to college and then leading into now what your career is?
2: Yeah, so um, I would say first, I actually took a non-traditional route um, after high school, went into the military, uh, the army, yes. Went into the army, uh, was a human resource specialist, so I wasn't on the front lines, but I was processing people's pay and promotions. Right. Uh, But I, I took that route, um because i wanted to go to college but just necessarily couldn't afford it um and so i needed the military really to pay for my undergrad right so i did the army for a couple years and after my little term got out and was like yep it's time for me to go to college um but no i'm originally from um new york um Upstate New York, it's a place that is very, um, it is different from New York City, I would definitely say, okay. um, but not in some aspects. New, uh, Rochester being um, actually one of the most uh, deadliest cities in America, um, actually. Hmm. It's on levels of St. Louis, um, as well as um, Gary, Indiana and a couple other places, um, the murder rate for Rochester is extremely high to the point where we had uh, every summer, we called it like red summers because we knew that there would be a number of, uh, especially black and brown folk dying at the ends of, uh, in the hands of gun violence um, or other types of crimes that have happened. Um, And so would let me um, going into the military was that one? I was trying to escape. Um, mm. I would say my hometown. I love my hometown. I worked the whole time at the time, but I really wanted to get out of New York and someplace. Um, and so the military, I could have gone to college outside of state, um, outside of the, the, the state, and went straight to college, but I couldn't afford it. Mm. So the next best option was to go into the military. And the military took me to a number of places. It took me to South Carolina it took me to um, Texas. Um, and that's actually where I spent the most of my time, was actually in Fort Bliss, um, which is El Paso, Texas, as they call it, the armpit, Texas.
1: <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> uh, so I spent a lot of my time there, got out of the military, um, and then attended college down the street, um, which is about 30 minutes away um, in Las Cruces, New Mexico, at New Mexico State University. Um, majored in poli-sci, um, and I had a minor in colonial Latin American history and African science. Um, and so I was this close to having a double major um, in both uh, well, having a double major in African studies and stuff but they just necessarily didn't offer a full major for African studies so just had a minor in two minors in a degree um, in poli sci what got me um really interested in black cultural center work actually um, was when i started attending college um worked in my black cultural center um, as a student worker i was a your mentor starting out in undergrad in my Black Cultural Center at New Mexico State University. Um, and from there, graduated with my bachelor's and then was offered a job to be a coordinator um, at the Black Cultural Center um, at New Mexico State. And then from there, um, while I was a coordinator and I was working on my master's, um, was doing a number of different things. So I worked for the State Office of African American Affairs um, and kind of working with them on a number of different things for the state of New Mexico, um, as well as working um, closely with our um, Black Cultural Center, as they call it, the FRO, at the University of New Mexico. Um, and so kind of working and doing a number of things in the state of um, New Mexico um, really kind of helped me really kind of change years. I really originally wanted to be a mayor um, of my hometown really? I to go really? back oh, okay. yes i wanted to go back after i graduated college um and go back to my hometown rochester and change up and, and run for mayor um actually wow. i think um, you'd be a great stuff. mayor yeah, just by the way what i know about <laughs> you'd be a
1: great mayor i will vote for
2: you <laughs> <laughs> well i appreciate that but no uh No, I really wanted to do some some policy engagements and really to see what would be the change of our city um, of Rochester, but things didn't work out in that aspect. Um, Because I really, really enjoy Black culture, Um, really engaging the students, and being able all the way from my undergrad all the way until um, my grad program and everything, and then also interacting. Um, with the New Mexico Office of African American Affairs um, and then the other Black Cultural Center at UNM, I was just able to like, this is what I actually want to
1: do. Mm. I
2: want to work with um, Black students um, on college campuses Um, and not necessarily at a historically Black college or university, but particularly Black students at predominantly white institutions and kind of see what does it look like in the, the development of our Black students. Um, both during and after college, but then on top of that, um, how do we cultivate a space in which they have a, a crucial identity development? Um, because it was crucial for me as I was going through my undergrad, um, as well as my, my grad program, being in a black cultural center space and being able to shape my identity, what it is now. Um, so from there, um, how I got here to the University of Utah um, actually uh, when I was done with my master's program, I was pl- applying to different Black Cultural Center jobs. Um, my director at my previous job, he was like, Elijah, I think it's time. You spent some time in us, Black Cultural Center. I think you should be applying for some directorships. We had a quarter in for some time, and you've been doing some cool things and some really innovative things. And I think your your time, talent, and dollars can be utilized in a an uh, even bigger way. So you should be applying to some other places around the country. So I did. I applied to some places in California, applied to some places on the East Coast, um, and then I also applied to Utah. And Utah uh, was open arms. It was like, yes, we need you. to. Uh, they yeah, did. Yes. Um, but to kind of also pay homage how the Black worker Center kind of came to place at the University of Utah, though, um, was having con- I wasn't necessarily in those conversations because I was not, uh, I was K twelve at the time that they were initially having those conversations. Mm. Um, but it started roughly a, a little under twenty five years ago uh, with mm. uh, a professor named Dr. Professor Adams Bell, um, and she was the first EVP of diversity uh, for the University of Utah. Um, and she had the initial talks of a Black Cultural Center along with some faculty and staff and students and wanting a space where they can feel like they can cultivate their identity. Um, In 2015, we had a number of student protests um, and kind of really the challenging of our administration to kind of get a space. And that was from our Black Student Union, as well as our Black Faculty and Staff Association, um, our Black Graduate Students Association and the community members kind of coming together. Um, the center didn't come into place though until 2017 where they approved it. And then it took an additional year to renovate the space. Um, and then it opened in 2019, February 26, 2019. And then I came on board um, a couple months after.
1: Yes, awesome. And for those who don't know, the Black Cultural Center just turned, is that four then? I remember at the I was at the Black Faculty and um, Staff Awards and it's four, so that's awesome. Um that's cool. And so what when specifically when you were picking if it just because like you said Utah was more open than the other schools like what was that deciding factor if if it was more than just like
2: the pay was better or
1: something I don't know you know like what if there was a little bit more in the deciding factor and what made Utah the final choice over the other options?
2: Um what made Utah really the final decision was one It was a unique opportunity where the other centers that I applied to have been established. So Black cultural centers have been around since like 1968. Mm -hmm. Um, And so some of the centers that I was applying to have been around 40, 50 years, have established an identity, have been able to really be amongst in the community and they know what they're going towards. And this was a unique opportunity in Utah where there has never been a center Um, And so, this was a unique opportunity to be a ten novel director um, and really kind of carry out what exactly what does this look like? How do we shape this? Um, learn from our community um, and be able to kind of grow it in a direction in which reflects the community, but also um, helps and uplifts the community as well.
0: So, what has been the the best part of being the director of the Black Cultural Center? What 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 good things have you seen
2: come from it? Ooh, Uh, there's a couple things I'm saying. I often say one of the things, uh, the coolest things I I often tell people in the general public is that I probably, um, other than a select few of individuals in the state, Probably have one of the the blackest jobs in the entire state of Utah.
1: I agree with this a thousand percent. He does. He really does. For him, uh, for you to be in Utah and you interact with as many black people you do on a daily basis, uh-huh. it's like incredible.
2: So that that that's what I love about it, though. Yes, having um, well, not I don't think I have the blackest job. I think I'm one of the blackest jobs, but being in one of the blackest jobs in the state. Um, But then on top of that, being um, often people in uh, the state of Utah, and I talk with other Black folks or other Black professionals, and they can go weeks um, without seeing another Black person Mm -hmm. in their job, um, atmospheres, or, you know, the companies or the campuses and so on and so forth. And what I enjoy about this job, um, really like about it, is that I think Mm -hmm. I'm always every day in a Black space. I'm always interacting with black folks, black community members, black students, black faculty and staff. Mm-hmm. Um, I see on a given basis, a lot of different black folks. Um, and so um, it's it's really unique, um, kind of being in a very white space um, to have such an atmosphere where it's very black. Um, but on top of that, I would think one of the, the good things coming out of the center is that, um, I get to be a cultural conduit um, and not, not too many people really um, understand what that means, but a cultural conduit, at least in my definition, is to be someone that really kind of like bridges the gaps between the belonging of our people and the development um, and how do we kind of connect um, our community and, and have them be able to learn Um, But this also be able to socialize, be able to voice the concerns, be able to make sure that there's a place for them that's home, that feels like home. Mm -hmm. Um, And we be a connector. How do we be a connector? We are not the end-all, be-all of all things Black, and as it should not be. We we should not be the end-all, be-all of all things Black. But we can connect you to a lot of different things that are Black here in the state of Utah. And I kind of pride myself in that. And I try to pride our staff in that and being able to, how do we make sure um, if you want to get connected, that you can um, to many different things that are happening in the black community here in Utah.
1: And for the listeners here, Melijah does so much for the Black Cultural Center. I'm going to give him a little hype up moment right now. just ever since I moved to Salt Lake, I have come to your events more and just, you know, you're so involved with the community, not just things with the the center, but even just community things, events are hosted at the Black Cultural Center that have nothing to do with the University of Utah, and so you're there supporting that, facilitating that, and really like, a lot of hours outside of, you know, a typical nine to five, he is putting time in and being with people and organizing events to help people to feel that belonging, that community and that support that is really needed in a place like Utah. Um, And so I think that you, you speaking to that unique opportunity was true, and you have definitely fulfilled that. And being up here, you know, coming from BYU and Provo, where it was not the same energy, it was very much like students coming together, figuring this out for ourselves, like, Let's do our own dinners on Sundays and whatever to feel apart. And even then, like, it it's hard to reach everyone who identified as Black um, because we only know who we know. Um, and so seeing what you have built and like the opportunities the Black students here have and the ability to just connect and meet with one another so freely and supported financially as well by their university, um, even though there are probably still things they can improve on it's also a lot better than a lot of other places in the state. And so I think you should be very proud of that. And um, I brag about the Black Cultural Center to everybody at you all the time, because I'm like, yeah, we wish that was us. We wish we had something like that, because they even oh. have a like, like even though, um you know, the Black Cultural Center is a little far off campus and that's a whole, you know, story for another time, but um, it can be thrown <laughs> on the plate. <laughs> Yeah. You know, but it still is like a, a building, it's a space, it's a place, it's a start, and and some universities don't even have that start. So, mm-hmm. I just think that that's amazing compared to my undergraduate experience.
2: Yeah, oh, I, I appreciate that, uh, dearly. But I also have to say that you all are building a community, um, that transcends the campus of BYU, that uh, it goes really nationally. Um, and so I applaud you, um, as Previously, students, and now as a alum and doing your thing, yeah, y'all doing amazing things. I can only imagine that did as a student. Um, but yeah, it's, it's powerful. Yeah, y'all, y'all out there doing stuff too yeah,
1: Thank you. <laughs>
2: we appreciate
0: it. We're, we're doing our best. We're trying, and you know, kind of with that, it, you know, we went. We had the chance to go to the University of Michigan um, not too long ago, and while we were there, we got to see the cultural center that they that they have on campus. And they told us a little bit about the history of it, how it had originally been kind of far off campus. It was called Trotter House. And, um, you know, they it, it was a place that black students would gather. And it was, you know, it was pretty far off campus. And so they rallied and they did some activism to have uh, a center built for them on campus. And so they finally got that. And then, you know, when it, I think it's, I think that they, it was finally built, they broke ground on it in 2015. It yeah. was finally built in 2017. And when they... And they got it built and everything that you know it wasn't uh super well known or well used, but then some some white people started to complain and talk about how oh, this space is racist, it's what it's uh it was reverse racism. Yeah, that they get to have white a space, and they started, trying to
1: take over their uh-huh, space.
0: they started reserving space. Really, in, well, because it technically
1: is yeah. a multicultural place, it's not just for black students, they do have a Sankofa room, though, that mm. is like unofficially designated for black students. Because, I mean, come on. Yeah. Sankofa.
0: So, I mean, so by the, it's labeled by the university as a multicultural center. But yes. originally, Trotter House was started by black yeah. people and only black people hung out there. And then they moved it onto campus and they called it the Trotter Multicultural Center. And so, you know, technically anybody could be there, but it was black people that built it, black people that started it. And so yep. it was black people that claimed it. But yeah, then, you know, people came in and started. Um, you know, white organizations on campus started trying to reserve rooms and be like, oh, you know, black people, you got to get out because we reserve this room for our white Christian organization or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, so they started a movement called Occupy Trotter, where basically just yeah. they told all the black people to come hang out in the building all day, every day. And so when they weren't in class, they were in the Trotter Multicultural Center. Mm-hmm. And they did that. <laughs> you know, they did that for a while. And then it just kind of became that space. Where all the black people go and hang out, and so we got to experience a little bit of that just for a couple of hours, and it was incredible. And so my question to you um, is: Have you experienced anything similar to that at the BCC? Is even trying to build up community there? Has there been pushback from from students or from administration, mm-hmm. or has there been you know what um, what's been the most difficult thing about mm-hmm. trying to build community through the Black Cultural Center?
2: Um, mm-hmm. There's been a lot, actually. Um, one of those, um, I get to talk about it now because the legislative session is over. Um, <laughs> but shoot, in the legislative session for the state of Utah, we mm-hmm. just were fighting, was it about a week mm-hmm. it was yep. some change ago, where they were trying to abolish um all cultural centers on campus um because they felt that it was against uh, <sighs> again that that narrative right. that. It's it's it should not be it's, it's discriminatory it's, it's mm-hmm. reverse racism to have spaces uh, for people of color um, and not just the black percent but our other centers as well um, and so I would say it is a constant battle in really trying to um, get people that are not kinfolk to understand. Mm why we have a space like this in existence. Why did students fight for this? Why did faculty and staff fight for this? Um, I'm in constant meetings, battles, in which I'm trying to describe like, what is the meaning of a space like this. And usually when I come down to when I'm speaking to individuals, I, I usually tell them that this space, it's, um, it's a brave space. It's a space in which folks. Um, not only can feel safe, but it uh, can really transcend a lot of different things and be able to be brave, where they can learn their identity, where they can learn um, how to uh, engage in leadership, uh, how to be a number of different things so they can go forth and be our next generation of folks. right? And with that, I would say it's just I'm constantly in constant battle, I would say, with the the folks that are not necessarily frequent visitors to the center. Mm. Um, I have to describe what we do to people that are not frequent visitors. Um, I'll put it like that. Um, But (laughs) I would also say um, the other challenges really, um, and this is across the country, but Oftentimes, and in some aspects, um, Black Cultural Center work, um, cultural center work in itself, we usually have to turn pennies, man. It's gold. Um, you're often given pennies, um, and you have to make that work. And what we kind of do here at the Black Cultural Center is, um, and this is across the country, Black Cultural Centers as well. We 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 are given pennies on the dollar. And we turn that into, into gold and into magic. Um, and sometimes people will be hating because mm-hmm. they're like, how do you turn? And I mean, like other folks across the country or in departments probably on the same campus as us, like, how are you turning? How are you turning? Um, you only get that, of, that little bit amount of money. How are you doing all this stuff? I was like, because it's in our nature. Uh, we turn mm-hmm. pennies into gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, Very good. Yeah, that's a that's a yourself. very black
0: trade. That's like the black mama going to the empty refrigerator and pulling out a gourmet meal from from nowhere. Exactly, uh, exactly. You look in there, exactly. you see a, a bag of hot dog buns and some ketchup, and then she come around with a whole gourmet meal. Yep.
2: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Exactly, exactly. Or the, the, the analogy that, that they said to the slave where those enslaved. Um, you used to take the pig. We used to be mm-hmm. given the guts, yeah. mm-hmm.
0: and we turned
2: that into soul food, mm-hmm. right? Right, um, and be able to now staple American cuisine. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, being able to take what we do in the Black Cultural Center off the pennies on the dollar and be able to really do amazing things is, is always a blessing um, in itself. Yeah. Love
1: that. Love that. Yeah. Okay, so question, for the future of the Black Culture Center, like, what is your hope, and um, just because I know it's expanded, right, I'll get some flex numbers. I was at the, I know these things because I was at the banquet, but again, the, the Black Faculty and Staff board, so I heard all these things, so I'll save them for you, Melijah. Um, the center has expanded from just Melijah being there to now they have two coordinators, and you guys have now two programs. You have Operation Success and um, the male success initiative um oh three Three. the third one okay i don't know that one you 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 do that one the third one being
2: generation
1: x yes okay you're right yes um and so that's like that's impressive in the short amount of time you guys have been there Mm -hmm. i mean you guys just got a really big donation um during nba all-star weekend And so the center is a really moving and it's becoming a cornerstone of the Black community in Salt Lake, in my opinion. And I think it will continue to evolve that way through your partnership and just your own community um, organizing that you do just as an individual separately. And so what are some of the hopes that you have um, if they're, you know, the small hopes that are more realistic or even just like really big dreams that might not happen, but something that you would love to see? We would love to hear about that, too.
2: Yes. Um... Well, I have actually a couple of goals, I would say. The first goal that I often tell folks, and I try to live this in our center and our staff as well, is that our hopes and goals of the Black Cultural Center is that students, as they go throughout their collegiate career and they graduate, we want them to be able to stay in the state of Utah as Black professionals. Um, So I really harp on how do we develop our our students to not only be self-sufficient, but then on top of that, be able to take on different roles and and, and be community organizers and be folks like yourselves, right? Um, How do they be out in the community and do do so uh, so many amazing things. Um, And I think the key to that is that we have to retain um, Black individuals in the state of Utah. And so a lot of our goals and aspects that would lack of the center is to be a cornerstone. And one of the reasons why, um, as our students graduate, that they decide to stay in the state of Utah because um, the Black Cultural Center and other community organizations as well pour so much into them Mm -hmm. um, and be able to uplift them and be able to make sure that as they go into their professional careers, that they can contribute to the Black community that's growing here in the state of Utah. Um, and so I would say that's one of our biggest goals is how we retain um talent, black talent here in the state of Utah. Um, but I would also say some other goals, um, uh, for the center really would have to be around, uh, of course, expanding our team even more so. Um, so I would love um, to not just have a staff of three, but eventually a staff of 10. Um,
0: oh, I love it.
2: Love it. <laughs> have a staff of ten with an and uh, was uh, an it, assistant director, right. um, kind of assisting me and being able to go through some things. Um, uh, I would say I would love to have um, our programs be expanded um, in ways uh, that are not mentioned often. Um, and so, for instance. Um, for our program, which is Operation Success, uh, meaning uh, Students United to create cultural education success stories. With uh, this particular program, we challenge students, um, give, we give them a scholarship, we challenge students to really develop a business plan or a project proposal addressing the need in the Black community. Um, and what we hope for that is that in the future, we can be an incubator space uh, where we provide those funds to kind of jumpstart them on their career paths um, to be able to take those business plans and those project proposals and actually turn them into reality. Um, And so being more of an incubator space for that um, will be my ultimate goal. But then on top of that, um, I would say, shoot, I would love to to grow the center into a bigger space. Uh, One of the things, um, the oldest Black cultural center in the country, being at Rutgers University in New Brunswick, New Jersey, Um, their center is pretty big, as well as Purdue's uh, campus is about the size um, of the building that's across the street from our center, Um, the Guest University. Oh, wow. Yeah, so there's some huge. There's huge like
0: cultural centers. Oh, I'm
2: that sure. is huge. Just so, you, <laughs> so, just so
0: y'all know for some scale, I think the building you're talking about is like the conference center, like the hotel. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's like a giant, like a hotel slash conference center across, it's like multiple floors, big long mm-hmm. building. If you can just imagine like a fancy Yeah, hotel. it looks like
1: a hotel. Like that's what I thought mm-hmm. when
0: I first Yeah, like it looks like a hotel, but it's like a big conference center. It's got tons of rooms and, and things like that. So it, that's very, very large. And I think that what the BCC is in right now it's basically like a, like a three-story house. You know, you got like, yeah, you know, you got the ground floor, then you got an upstairs, and maybe it's just two stories. But, you know, it's, 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 it's a modest, you know, it's a good-looking little house, you know, and it's, it's perfect for, for where you're at now. But, yeah, I love that you want to expand it. That's cool.
2: Yes. I would love uh, for it to be bigger where we have our own conference center. We have our own um, place in which we can do large-scale events. Um and be able to do some kind of amazing things. Again, because we're in the nature of turning pennies into gold. The space we are in right now, we can do a number of different things with that as of right now. But I can only imagine if we had a space that was bigger, we can do all types of things. Um, but yeah. I
0: love that. Have you been able to collaborate with other universities through your work at the, at the BCC?
2: Yes, um, so we are part of the Association of Black Cultural Centers um, here in the country, um, which is a national network of uh, uh, their organizations called ABCC. Um, great, great organization, um, and there are over, say, over ninety plus um, Black Cultural Centers in the country. Um, if we include Hispanic-serving institutions and a couple other institutions, that number goes up to well over 200-plus um, Black culture centers in the country. So this is a huge network. Um, we usually partner and collab with a number of, of different institutions. Some of our recent partnerships have been with the, uh, coming from New Mexico, but have been with the University of New Mexico, um, in which we have taken alternative breaks um, and us our students to Albuquerque, New Mexico, to kind of meet with the Black community there. Um, we'll be in the future um, for our Generation Next program, kind of doing an HBCU exchange program. We'll be sending um, students to Howard University for spring break to be able to um, connect and see what how things are at the Howard University in a number of other ways, um, and then. Um, we're trying to partner. We're trying to help also um, in the development of other Black cultural centers here in the state of Utah. So down the pipeline, um, there may be some other Black cultural centers popping up Um hey. some institutions. Probably we not
0: at BYU, but you know, I love it's it.
1: not BYU. But um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> we know there's no room on BYU campus. They don't have space. Um,
1: but we we love the private institutions. But um, yeah. that's awesome.
0: That is, that is. That's cool. Yes. So yes. while you're while you're working to, to make those changes and make that growth, what, what do you need to see from the university? or What would you like to see from the university? You know, because you have that center, um, but, you know, it, it has its own set of challenges. Like, for instance, it's off campus or, you know, it might be not as easily accessible. Um, you know, there might be, you know, you got pushback in the legislature, which maybe not is from the university itself, but what would you want to see from the university to help realize that dream?
1: um
2: hmm. I would say first possibly um, more investment um, into what we do and promotion of the services that we do on a larger scale um, there's still a lot of folks that don't know that there's a black cultural center um, on campus mm. um, and for a lot of A lot of the time, it's not actually their fault that we don't know, it's just we're just not promoted in those aspects. So, we're we are far away from the general parts of campus, and so it's like, oh, yeah, up there, I didn't even know there was something up there, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, you know, in that aspect, right? And so, I would say in the future, really just kind of seeing what does investment look like, um, to either make us more centralized, um, or Really kind of just promotion of what we do um, on a larger scale um, and have that embedded in for every student that enters the University of Utah, that they know that there's a center on campus and and what does that look like? So really trying to, if they can help um, with assisting on the promotion of our services, I think is the biggest thing they can do right now. I mean, we can always ask for money. Um, (laughs) You know, I never have money. money I never deny a check or something, you know, but right. really I think it's, um, we can still do so much impact for what we have even right now, um, thanks to the university and also um, donors and private donors and things of nature. So I, I would say really the promotion of what we do um, on every level, rather it be admissions, rather be be um, orientation, rather be housing, um, all these different places on campus that they know that there is a center um, called the Black Culture Center on campus, and that we can do a number of different things. And that we're not just student facing. We are also a community center in which community organizations can use the center for free, um, which is another kind of um, thing, I would say, that does not get promoted as much often as it should. Um, but folks can utilize the center to do events, things that they would like to do, and it's free of charge. My only general rule was that it fits in our staff schedules, because um, we would have to probably be there in order for that to run. Um, but you know, just making sure that those services are kind promoted to our community largely.
0: Okay, I love that. I love that. Here's to hoping that that all those dreams will be realized much sooner rather than later.
1: Mm Mm-hmm, and that you're the start for the state of Utah Mm -hmm. of Black cultural centers and like how it should be done, how it should be done well, and um, also just really building a good relationship with the university as well. I feel like that was also probably a very big part of your job is working on building that so that it could be mutually beneficial um, and really benefit the community, Mm -hmm. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. And the black community in Utah is growing. That's one thing that I've realized over the last year. There's a lot more black people here than it used to be. Because I remember when I first came out here, I did not right, see
1: black were. people.
0: And now I see I see black people walking down the street. I'm like, who is that? You know, I'm driving and I you know, turned around right. like that meme where it's like the whole neck is turned around. That's me looking at black people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everywhere I go and you know find out there's people in Salt Lake. And so yeah, it's been you know as the community grows, it's going to be you know places like the the Black Culture Center are going to be more and more important. You know. So that's the work that you're doing, and this is uh, this is kind of an aside. It doesn't necessarily have to do with the Black Cultural Center, but it has to do with Black culture. We understand that you are a member of the Divine Nine, Phi yes. Beta Sigma. Is that correct?
2: Phi Beta Sigma fraternity. Incorporated. There you go. Yes, got to say it correct, right? Got to come correct.
0: Sure. <laughs> so go ahead and tell us a little bit about Phi Beta Sigma Incorporated how you became a member of that particular fraternity, why you chose that particular fraternity, and just kind of give them a plug. Yeah,
2: sure. Um, five Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated was founded at Howard University in 1914. Three founders, as we say, three for the founders. Um, three founders, lovely gentlemen um, that really came together um, and had a motto, culture for service, service for humanity. Um, and, and really being able to, how do we um, have service at the very cornerstone of everything that we do? Um, how do we be selfless leaders? How do we be selfless practitioners? How do we be selfless um, community organizers? And a That's number of other, other aspects?
1: Seriously. <laughs> seriously. I'm like, they need to put him on the front because he's here.
2: Uh, yes, yes. Uh, but, yeah, Phi uh, Beta Sigma it, uh, Fraternity Incorporated is part of the Divine 9 nine um, non-historically Black fraternities and sororities um, here in the country. Um, we are, along with several of the other organizations in Divine Nine, are an international organization. So we have folks in Ghana, we have folks um, shoot, we got uh, Sigma Brothers in, in China and in Japan, and, and Hawaii, and all these different places, um, you'll find us all over the globe. Um, but our colors are royal blue and pure white. Um, that is our official colors. Um, but how I got into the organization, actually, um, really, really good story. But I, I was in undergrad. I was in my undergrad. Um, and believe it or not, I had a brother. Um, his name was Jamar Cotton. Um, really really good brother, Um, was an alumni of the institution Mexico State University, and uh, he used to be um, a star football player, a really cool guy, but he was also really a a great man of faith, great man of faith. Um, And before I was going so backtrack, growing up, (laughs) uh, my father was a Muslim, and my mother was a Catholic. Um, And had very contrasting um, viewpoints mm-hmm. and, how very and, so. up, <laughs> and how I grew up. How uh, I grew up. And for a brief time after I uh, graduated um, high school and I was in the military, I was um, agnostic for some times where I believed that there was something. I was believed there was a higher power, but I just didn't necessarily know um, what um, it was essentially because of just the... the contrasting views that I've kind of grown up with. And so when I went to college, uh, believe it or not, my brother, my, my frat, uh, Jamar Khan, um, was a Christian. And he brought me to Christ um, and was a, a brother of faith. He was a married man and and really was about his community. I'm just like, he was just at everything, everything and everything and was really about, again, that aspect of culture for service, uh, service to humanity, and and really being able to um, really create uh, pathways for us as young men at the college, but also he was just a shining example of service. Um, And I really admired it about him. And I was like, I really want to see how, what does that look like as far as the community? Um, I saw some other brothers on our campus as well, um, that were Sigma's, And I was just like, what is this about? Like, why, how do you, how do I get a part of this? Cause y'all, y'all doing like, y'all really doing it. Um, and so, uh, went to an interest meeting and from there on was like, I'm ready to do it. Uh, went through my, my processes that I cannot talk about it here, but, uh, <laughs> um, but it was it was it was a great experience it continues to be a great experience um and yeah uh, we're doing great things now unfortunately here in the state of utah we only have uh, currently three brothers that are signals in the entire state um yeah um and so I more so work a lot with just the divine nine overall here in the state of Utah. So rather be helping the Deltas, as I know Rachel is a, a, a Delta, quite a Delta Sigma Theta, Um but helping the Deltas or helping the Omegas, Omega Psi Phi, turning quote, or um, helping um, shoot the Alphas that are here. Um, you know, helping those, those larger trackers that are here. Um, I know there are some interesting developments. Um, one being uh, Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated would actually be beginning a chapter here in the future. Wait, um, so okay, okay. so I'm excited about that. And that, that is uh, not to throw shade, but that is the oh, only <laughs> con- constitutionally bound sorority and fraternity in Divine Nine, the Sigmas and the Zetas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm here to see the, uh, my sisters thrive here in the state of Utah um, and helping them and making sure that they're good. Um, but yeah, we're, we're doing great things, um, really great things in the community. Um, and I would say if anybody would like to be a part of it, um, just to look at, you don't necessarily have to be in college. Um, they have a number of graduate alumni chapters across the country um, that you can be in your local community and join the local chapter. Um, but it really just takes you to another level. Um, rather be connecting to a number of individuals, um, but also making sure that you, um, you know, uphold uh, a certain statute uh, of community service, uh, of skills, uh, of love um, for your community. Yeah,
1: that's that's what I love about Utah. Is um, I was talking to someone about it, but. Not every leader, but a lot of leaders in Utah who are working towards, you know, building things for equity, um building community with the black community here. A lot of them are members of the Divine 9. Just by like coincidence almost, you know, like it's very interesting and um so it's cool to feel like I'm a part of this group who's helping to work towards this and also I'm a part of another group that this is our, you know, purpose and what we do and um that when I became a Delta, that was like—I mean, that was why I wanted to be a Delta. Is like all the Deltas were doing so many amazing things in Utah, and literally, they run so much here. Like they are involved in so many things everywhere you turn. There's probably a Delta involved somewhere, and um, that's something. That they wanted,
2: one one in three black women that come to the state of Utah are as a Delta.
1: Wow. Wait, is that actually a statistic?
0: That's wild.
1: I love that, <laughs>
0: <laughs> man.
1: <laughs> but um, yeah stuff like that and you know it's just really cool to see our community um, even bring that here in the state of Utah with so many people who aren't aware that's a lot of what we do as well is just you know especially people who grow up here like younger black people younger black families some people don't even know what that is and the history and the significance that they've held in our communities and what they've done and so I love the presence that all the all the um, organizations in the Divine Nine have within the state, and just the members and what they represented themselves, um, aside from their organization affiliation.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. I was like Nate, you are gonna see you soon. soon? Listen, see
0: you at frat. I, we'll see. I hope so, but you know, <laughs> <until laughs> we're <laughs> we gonna be moving down to Salt Lake in uh, in a couple of months. We're looking at places right love- now, so. Shout out to all the right, listeners. All if, y'all, right. if y'all know anybody, if y'all know anybody, you know anybody that's going on a mission and has a, a mansion that they'd like for somebody to take care of, you know,
1: yeah.
0: feel free to email in and, and <laughs> you know, give us custody over that mansion. But you know, if not, then we'll just be in a nice little apartment. But yeah, once I'm closer down there, you're gonna catch me at everything. I'll be at the DCC just hanging out for no reason. You're like, who is that? I'm <laughs> you know, just always here watching Netflix. I'm not sure. <laughs> Absolutely, um,
1: absolutely. Well, this has been great, Melijah. We've learned so much. This has been an awesome interview. But to close out uh, this interview, we do this with everyone. We have this thing that we, we just call recommendations. And this is, um, you can recommend anything. And when I mean anything, literally anything. Like, mm-hmm. whatever you want, you can do. We've done music. We've done movies. We've done food. We've done activities. Whatever you want, and so um, that's kind of what we're gonna end this episode on. And so we'll let you go last, so you can think about um, what you want to recommend. Nate, do you want to go first, or I can today? Yeah, I
0: can go first. So okay. a couple of things. First off, this isn't a recommendation, but I've been meaning to do this for like the last few weeks. I wanted to shout out one of our uh, one of our biggest listeners. His name is Rex Holiday. Um, I was talking to his son-in-law and he said he listens to the podcast like every single week and is always okay. talking about it with his family and stuff like that. So I just wanted to shout him out and be like, Rex, yes. we appreciate you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for talking about the, the things that we discuss on here. We love you. We appreciate the support. Thank And you. then um, my recommendation for this week is actually this song that I just heard. I don't know if it's new or not, but I just heard it a couple of days ago. And it's Janelle Monet. And then a couple of artists that I hadn't heard of before, Seun Kuti and Egypt 80. I don't know if I'm saying those right, but it's a song called Float by Janelle Monet. And it's just a vibe. It's a good little vibe. It's a chill song. Got, got a cool beat, cool lyrics. And it's just Janelle Monet doing her creative thing in her creative bag. I really enjoyed the song. I added it to my playlist to my rotation. So it's called Float by Janelle Monet. Check it
1: out. Awesome. Okay. My recommendation for the week is this. And it's only my recommendation because I had such a positive experience. So I'm recommending it to you. I know there are listeners out here who do not have good luggage. This is really random, but invest in a good thing of luggage. This is my recommendation. I have really nice luggage and I've been traveling a lot recently and it just makes your life so much better. I remember when I didn't have like I was being cheap or just whatever and not having it. And it really does make things just inconvenient and luggage is overpriced overall. I agree. But beside that, it's worth the investment because it really makes your travel experience so much better. And so, um, I just think about some of the experiences that I've had this weekend, weekend traveling, and it would have been a lot harder if I had decided to not get something a little more long lasting compared to some of my other purchases that were cheaper. But, um, that, that's my recommendation for the week. Look out. Look for some deals. There's always sales at department stores. But do it. It it, it will change your life. Trust me.
0: Rachel got that luggage that <laughs> follows you around.
1: Stop. No, I don't. No, I don't. Nate is just saying things. That Rachel's is not true. Luggage,
0: Rachel's luggage has feet. It just walks after her.
1: No, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. My luggage yeah. is matching, though. It's, it's all pink. I feel like that person, though. I'm like, I need to get a more neutral color because... Why am I sitting here with this bright pink bag and suitcase right now? I'm like, oh my gosh. Good luggage, cool.
0: All right, M'Lijah, what you got?
2: I got two things. Um, Well, I don't know how long, but I actually have three. Okay. The first one, so I'm a big TV head, big TV head. Okay, okay. Um, And the show just finished, but I recommend folks watching Atlanta um fx you can watch it on hulu um, as well um they just finished this um season finale um during the fall of last year um but amazing amazing show i would say one of the greatest black television shows of all time um i put it on the list um but it tackles the topic of black surrealism um or afro surrealism and how they approach trauma, how they approach, um, how they approach this blackness, everyday blackness, it's just amazing to me. Uh, And it reminds me a lot of like Jordan Peele, but it's the mind of Donald Glover. Um, And he has quite the mind. He has quite the mind. So it's just an amazing show. So I recommend folks watch that um, as it just finished um, its series. Um, another recommendation I would also kind of put forth, um, is to, um, the first one or the second one would be really, um, to protect your magic. Um, that is my recommendation. Um, and the recommendation of protecting your magic just means that in this times of, uh, unrest, um, times of stress, times of. Uh, just a lot of things going on and it will continue to go on for years and years as history tends to repeat itself that my recommendation is that you protect your um, that you be able to kind of go about your day um, and you have rest that you take care of your mental health that you take care of your well-being men- mentally, physically, emotionally, financially um, spiritually and be able to kind of go forth every day and so just protect your magic in that aspect is my second recommendation. And the last recommendation, uh, if people are into it, uh, get into some, some Marvel. I'm a huge Marvel head.
1: Love
2: uh, Some Marvel comics. Uh, okay. Okay. I often boast this uh, little fun fact, but I have about $15,000 worth of comic books mm. um, where I collect, I have some limited edition comic books. I have a number of good things, all Marvel, and then I have some um, some other comic books um, of like Spawn. Um I don't know if anybody knows about Spawn. Um No Spawn? Oh I you know, gotta, I know you the games. name. Like
0: I know a little I don't know the story. I just know the name. I don't know anything <laughs> about fake Spawn. Oh. I
1: don't
2: know. Yeah, Spawn, man. Just look it up. Whoever's listening look that up. Spawn, Spawn Comics, um by Todd McFlair, um, McFlair. Uh, Really good comic book uh, as well as been a show. It was a a movie back in the early late 90s when Blade came out. It was Spawn. I love it. Yes. That's the
1: coolest
2: superhero ever. Coolest. Coolest. (laughs) Coolest, coolest. Uh, But yeah, just recommend um, watching some stuff with Marvel as um, there's a lot of things that are heating up um, in the Marvel world in the coming months. Man, cool,
0: all right. Thank you for those recommendations. We appreciate it.
2: Yeah, cool. Uh, no yeah, thank
0: you. Thank you for being on the show. We learned a lot mm-hmm. from you. We're excited to see what happens with the Black Cultural Center. Thank you for stopping that awful legislation from going through single handedly.
1: Yes,
2: <laughs> no, I no, it was on the backs of several black women making sure that they, um, that we kind of stop this, um, this this thing, mm-hmm. this bull, I would say, that's happening in our legislative session um, be yeah. Love it.
0: Well, thank you. We appreciate you. Thanks for being on the show, Malajah. Yes. And uh, we'll catch y'all next week. That's the show for today. We were super excited to be able to talk with you about the wonderful topics of the Black Menace Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at The Black Menaces, and subscribe to our Patreon, The Menace Society, for bonus content and footage of both the podcast and our videos. We look forward to hearing from y'all in our email. You can email us menace moments and other questions that you may have for us. Be sure to email blackmenacepodcast at gmail.com to get those menace moments and questions flowing into our inbox. We'll answer you on the podcast and respond to you in the email.
1: And remember, always...
2: Be a menace.
1: Thank you, guys.